The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musuk Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. I mean, as a neutral, I'm doing all right, thanks, man. Is it possible to be a neutral after a weekend like that? Or are we all Napoli Ultras now? <laughs> Tell you what, we should be after performance like that. Wow. Yeah, that's another story. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, man, um, we, our teams did all right this weekend, huh? They did. They did indeed. They're up to speed a lot quicker than I thought they'd be. I'll tell you that, Manchester United. Whew. We knew Arsenal were cooking, but Ten Hag is uh, looking good too. He's doing okay, man. He really did. He really uh, is. How's your weekend? It was perfect, actually. Perfect being saw a good friend for their birthday, um, saw another friend do their first gig in two years, which was outstanding. Uh, they did not sound rusty at all. Um, and then obviously watched some great football and had some decent food. Some cooked by myself, but also some out in town. So yeah. Good nice. times. Yeah, yeah. How about yours? Uh, yeah, all right. Thanks, man. Uh, back in the uh, back in the motherland this weekend. Ah. That was fun. Although it rained, which is the least surprising thing in the world. What a homecoming. <laughs> I know, right? Wow. But yeah, man. All good. All good. Excellent. Excellent. Do we have any ad- admin? Do we have any admin? I don't think we do. Or is it the same old? Same old, same old. Real.com, Vortex Soccer. Stadio Actors plays on Spotify. <laughs> Counter Pressed and Righty's House. Uh, on that note, actually, Righty's House this week will be Flo and I, and we're going to do a non-football mailbag in part two of the show. Oh, so, wow. if you have any questions, tweet at Righty's House on Twitter. And uh, you know, it could be about TV, films, music, any of that kind of stuff. Life advice, I don't know. <laughs> like, actually, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'll tell you what, um, listeners, I would tell you this, listeners, um, obviously Flo and... Ryan being the two most chaotic guests on Whitey's house. So just ask away. I mean, you say that, but I literally hold the whole thing together. So uh, 
so yeah, get those get those questions in. If, if there's anything specific you wanted to ask Ian about Shrek or Cars, mm. the movies, yeah, go for it. You know, anything we've been watching, any non-football sports stuff, be fun because we're going to do a lot more of this stuff on Wright's House now that it's gone twice a week. Mm. For those of you who don't know, by the way, every Tuesday and every Friday, Wright's House is now up. So. You haven't subscribed yet? You're missing out. Go and search for Righty's House on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I think there is still a, an issue with Google Podcasts, but unfortunately, that's uh, out of our hands. Some people are working hard to sort that out. I think, but um, but yeah, tweet at Righty's House, and um, we'll hope to answer some on Tuesday. Uh, so today we're probably going to start in the Premier League. On Friday night, we were like, "Wow, we are 100 percent starting with Napoli Juve." Mm. But because it was Friday as well, yeah. we're going to start with the, we don't know which derby we're going to start with first, but we're going to do the Manchester derby, we're going to do the North London derby, we're going to wrap up the rest of the Premier League. A quick shout for the WSL because Ian, Flo and I will talk about that on Writers House. We're going to talk about Napoli-Juventus and the Serie A title race because quite interesting in Premier League and Serie A, the leaders pulled away in Liga. Yeah, yeah. It was the leaders that got pegged back. It did. We'll talk a bit about the Bas Derby. We'll give a, sh- a quick shout for the Spanish Super Cup because uh, Barcelona won that in the Clasico and then we'll, we'll touch on Ren PSG and um, some Liga stuff. So we'll try and be quick because we've got a lot to get to. We do. So let's get into it after this. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, so I'm going to put this out to you. You get to decide where you would like to begin. Actually, I think we start with Manchester Derby, and I'll tell you why, because these are both teams in contention for the title, which is a sentence that seems remarkable. Yeah. Seems remarkable, considering Manchester United lost 6-3 to Man City in the league earlier this season, and they also lost by Brentford, like conceded four goals at Brentford, and they're in contention for the title. That is a wild sentence. Um, And they beat Manchester City 2-1 2-1 here at Old Trafford. It's extraordinary how this, this season is, um, I can't say that it got more chaotic after the World Cup, but I don't think that's been brought out by the stats and whatever. It's Eric Ten Hag taking charge, basically. Yeah, slow progress, but really not but, quite as slow as people thought it would be, but still smart, absolutely. sensible, slow progress. And just a very good game of football, this. Just it was a, a really good game, game I thought, as a neutral. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I mean, for Arsenal fans, a draw would have been great or failing that a Manchester United win would have been great for Arsenal fans. But I think uh, as a, as a, just as a game as a whole, it was, it was brilliant to watch and it felt like a proper derby. And for, for the first time in a while, even though Manchester United have had good results, say at Manchester City or even at home, this felt like the first one in a while where it was hard to call. Because I feel yeah. like, it, like basically what I mean by that is that either result wouldn't have been a massive surprise, I don't think, bar a big win. He's narrowed the gap, Ten Hag. That's the remarkable achievement. Yeah. Because it's been quite erratic, hasn't it, the Manchester derby in recent years? Like Manchester United have pulled off these unbelievable results there. Um, 
Manchester City have hammered Man United a couple of times. It's felt very, the pendulum has swung super hard. Whereas it's this never felt, felt like a lot more that controlled. Time it's, it's, yeah, exactly. That control is the key word. It's so funny you should say that. It's exactly the word I was grasping for. They, um, this was the first time I've looked at Manchester United and thought, ah, oh, there's parity now. Not parity, I mean, that City is still, they're still an edge ahead. But it's not that far. And the thing about this game that's so interesting is, Manchester United, and Carl put this really well in the chat, he was talking about this thing, like it was a minor masterclass that first half from Ten Hag, where they kind of got the possession, City got the possession that Manchester United wanted them to have. Mm. And they were impressive City in terms of, you know, they moved the ball forward. But there's a thing with them at the moment where, we've talked before about this, but the wingers that could stretch the game for someone like Haaland aren't there at the moment. I don't know when the moment comes when Alvarez is a regular starter as a winger ahead of either Mahrez or Foden, but I'm, I'm not sure how far away that day is because the thing about City is they're moving the ball forward into these areas and they're not really hurting you. Um, and you saw that with, with Foden too. You know, Foden is a spectacular player, of course. And also the kind of drive and thrust that you need to give the pitch real width and depth is not there. And I have to say this as well. Fred, I mean, there were many outstanding performances and Bruno Fernandes will get a lot of credit for his role in this game, you know, because he created a great deal. Fred was spectacular. Tracking back, some would say he was man, he wasn't man marking. He was picking up De Bruyne in certain areas, like man markings when you follow someone everywhere. He wasn't doing that. What he, yeah, what he did was even more impressive, actually. He managed to hold his space really well, but then leave the central midfield areas when he, when he needed to. He understood exactly when to, to give and to go. Casemiro again was brilliant, was brilliant, brilliant. I mean, that signing has been- So good, man. Even better than I could have hoped. He's just coming in immediately. You talk about being the glue earlier, like yeah, that yeah. man is absolutely the glue. And I, I, I want to start with those performances only because, before I hand over to you, just because it was really remarkable to see a Manchester derby where Manchester United's midfield was- was so impressive, so assured, and sometimes even supreme, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the key thing, which I, I imagine probably played in Ten Hag's thinking a little bit, was just they need to get they needed to be in the game at halftime. Mm. They can do quite a lot with a little Manchester United. We've seen it this season. And what would have been the worst thing for Ten Hag was to go in like 2-0 down because mm. Manchester United have slowly built this momentum over the last few weeks and slowly built more belief. There's a much better atmosphere around the place than there was... This was a run that Manchester United put together where there hasn't been any noise and there's been really positive progress. Ten Hag handled that first half really well because mm. it would have done so much damage uh, if Man City had like gone in two or three nil at halftime. Totally. Or if, Man if Manchester City had blown them away in this game because it would have been like, okay, well, where is the real progress? Because these are, you've seen it with Arsenal, like the Liverpool game at home, even though they rode their luck, some games last season. Man City at home, even though they lost, but the performance was better. There were these kind of, you know, Arsenal this weekend winning away at Spurs for the first time in nine years. It's this, it's these little things that you... Some games are yardsticks. Yeah, you have yes. to kind of do yeah. that. And I thought that the key for Man United was getting in at halftime, you know, and they did that really well. And I thought they handled Man City really well. The no noise thing is amazing because look, Rashford gets dropped to the bench in a previous match yeah, and there's no talk about it. No. It's like not even a thing. In previous years, that would have been a tabloid thing. They would have milked that for good, but it just, it was snuffed out. But he and also did a great job where he's just like, yeah, I overslept, it happens. It's not, it's not a big deal. Because everyone's bought into it. Yeah, yeah. And this is the key as well. We're talking about buy-in as well. We're going to loop it all back into everything. We'll loop it back even towards Haaland actually. Um, 
not to anticipate what you're going to say, but everyone having bought into this meant that when City took the lead, which felt to me a slight surprise, actually, I'm not going to lie. It felt like a slight, I, some, some felt it had been building the possession and the, in, in the way that it had been building in the same way that I suppose. Like clouds on the horizon. Sea levels slowly rise or whatever. Like it, this felt like something ominous as opposed to overwhelming, if that makes sense. I like it felt both ominous. For a climate related analogy, and that's nice. My goodness. We do a podcast. A lot. Do a podcast. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you my email. We should talk. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, talk to my people. Um, You'd send me there as well. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this game was when City took the lead, I don't know if it was, it wasn't so much surprising. It was, it was mildly disappointing considering how well United had handled things until that sort of 10 minute period before City really turned up, which they do, right? They do do that. That's their whole pressure cooker thing. The problem with City was, and this was a well, beautifully worked goal by, by De Bruyne away. The way he's, look, this cross, can I just say this as well? You get told so many times, everyone's like, hit the near post at pace. No, sometimes actually, it's not, it's not every day, it's not every day hammer it near post. Because that, the thing about the near post cross, and I have a real bone to pick here, sorry to get all, the near post cross actually only gives you one type of finish that's available. You basically have to like get everything right, get your timing perfect. The problem with the near post cross, in my opinion, is it only, you know, unless you're like an elite finisher that gets right in there, it doesn't give the, de- the defenders more than one problem to solve. Whereas if you do what De Bruyne did, you chip it like that, put it in the mix, it makes everyone turn their heads. Mm. It makes everyone turn. And the genius of it, of course, is you have some like Greenish arriving at pace who came on, who needed a goal like that. My goodness, he needed it. And it's 1-0 City. And at that point, the City pressure cooker kind of seemed to be working. I think the damning problem for them was they didn't have, didn't have a plan B. Now, I want, I want to give, I want to give um, City a lot of um, respect here. I was baffled by the award of that equaliser. Oh yeah, me too. I just that was so I mean, it's so bizarre. Like the ball gets gets played, and I'm like, look, I love Marcus Rashford, extraordinary player. And every now and again, there's an offside position he gets into. I'm like, you, should, you don't need to be. You're too quick to get offside there, right? So for me, like Rashford's offside. That's the end of the story. So you see Bruno going in and finishing, and it's one all, and they're like watching Manchester United negotiate a goal in real time was extraordinary. And it's so funny because for years it's been like, oh, that never happens anywhere else but United. And you watch it, you're like, actually, I'm struggling <laughs> to think. The they negotiated, they seem to have negotiated themselves an equaliser. Do you know what? Bruno Fernandes did the most reverse psychology thing ever when he knew a hundred million percent that if that had happened the other way around, he would have been incensed if that was given. So absolutely. he went full, like, turbo appeal. In fact, actually, do you know what? Bit surprised Manchester United weren't charged with their failure to control their players after uh, some of the charges that have been flying around recently. You know, can't even, do you know what Musa? Can't even appeal for a penalty nowadays. Game's gone. Absolutely. <laughs> can't even appeal for a penalty nowadays without getting an FA charge. But he was, as soon as the ball, the ball had barely hit the back of the net and he knew it was getting disallowed, right? Yeah. And he just went full like, no, 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 no. Oh my God, what are you doing? How can you do this? How, like straight over to the assistant referee and I was like, he knows that this probably should get chalked off. And this is a spiritually offside goal, actually. Yes, yes. You know, you know, you know, you know what's funny about this as well. You know, like, you know, um, VAR karma. Varma. <gasps> Varma. <laughs> <laughs> there was a period a few years ago, um, back in the day when I used to be a lawyer, when solicitors also got the chance to like have roles in court. They're solicitor advocates. So you do your paperwork 
you make your own paperwork and then you go and present it. And that is what Bruno basically did. The man <laughs> drafted his own documents, went to the court and litigated everything. And I was watching this guy going, is this going to work? It's actually going to work. And the weird thing was, I'm not going to lie to you, because when I watch these games, you watch them obviously as a football fan, right? As a United fan. But there's also the kind of neutral, because, you know, we've been doing podcasts, you're analysing as well. And me just going, I actually know it sounds a bit pathetic, but I found it hard to kind of like fully celebrate it because I can, that sounds really pathetic. I couldn't get into it because I'm like, I'm still going, no, that's like not. Do you know what? I do this, right? So, you know, how, like, some, like, I think because we have to. You stay back pretty yourself. neutral, yeah, yeah. even yeah. if we're, you fair know, we obviously have our, balanced. I don't know if you feel this as well, but say, for example, if Arsenal get a really, and I'm not talking about debatable, I'm talking about like full-blown cringe, how has that been awarded decision? My my instant thing is like, oh, I can't celebrate in the moment because my brain is already thinking about how I'm going to have to talk about it and make sure I kind of, because I know that I'm- That's funny because I, I want it to be clean. I, I'm different. I'm almost like, some people, some people, they love- some people love a dirtbag victory. They love it. They love a kind of- Oh my God, yeah. This felt like a, yeah, one of those like, those weekenders where you can't fully recall the detail of what happened. Unfortunately, mm. City will fully recall this. And look, we, I, know, I know we've spent a bit of time discussing this equalizer, but I think we have to do it justice because I think in the context of it, we, we can't brush over a thing as momentous as this because it's a very pivotal moment, this, I think. Because mm. you, you said a thing about earlier about Arsenal would prefer to draw. I don't know, actually. I know that this, this, this result brings United closer, but the defeat is more valuable to Arsenal because of the, the way it removes a bit more of City's aura. Because after that injustice, I think it was an injustice of the one or the equaliser. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, United, I just, I, just, just, just to clarify, I think yeah. this is one of those that is, it's not, a, it's a completely spiritually offside goal, but it's a legitimately onside goal. If you look at the black and white written black down and white. in the wall, rules, and this is something that, Usually they have this interfering with play thing mm. and it's a complete interfering with play, mm. but because there's not the actual specific wording to determine that kind of interference there, I think they're one of those like, oh, shit, I don't think we can actually rule this out by the law. Mm. So it just needs a slight rewording of the law, but worth noting by the way, that the most of the people who have um, a major say in IFAB laws are the home, home nation federations, let's say. Look, I know we've dwelled a lot on the decision. I think we had to, but United in the ascendancy after that, Garnacho with brilliant work, mm. um, brilliant work, twisting this way and that, and involved in the finish, uh, setting it up for Rashford, who crashed the box and scored in his seventh straight game. And Rashford now has exploded into extraordinary form, looking every bit like a future England number nine. Well, in my view anyway. And not just... I mean, Rashford with the winner and that was extraordinary, but just to sort of just throw some other people into the mix in terms of great performances. Wan-Bissaka is brilliant. Luke Shaw at centre-back. That is a oh, gutsy goodness. move. This is the thing, like, there's a Pep thing where Pep will put a player in a position and everyone will scratch their heads and the player will then go out and excel. And obviously they're different managers, but Ten Hag has something of that tactical um, now versatility. Of course, they know each other from their Bayern days. So shout out to Ten Hag. It's a brave thing to do. Like, he did a lot of brave things tactically in this match, I thought. And obviously United emerging with three points and that's spectacular for them, but you wanted to talk about Holland and so did I. But since you mentioned it, why don't you go with the Holland, your Holland tip yeah. first? Well, basically there's just, there's going to be a lot of talk around Holland now because people always want a narrative. And I think there's an interesting thing going on with City and Holland in, in that the way that City play compared to the way Dortmund play, for example, is very, very different. Yes. Um, 
in the short version of it is Holland will be fine. He's an elite goal scorer in his first season in the Premier League, considering he's still what only twenty two. Mm. He's six goals ahead of Harry Kane in the Golden mm. Boot, or five goals ahead of Harry Kane in the Golden Boot run in his first season. Mm. And he's missed a couple of games as well. To be yeah. remember, Sancho and Holland the season before last had an amazing partnership and mm. combined for so many go- of Dortmund's goals that year. Um, and just for just in general, their play was was so good and a key reason why both of them had just unbelievable metrics. I think what's happened at Manchester City is that there's a little bit of muscle memory going on from how they've played in previous years. Holland is a very different type of player. He, um, I, th- well, I think that Dortmund, for example, were not the kind of, well, they would rarely have the amount of control or possession in an opposition half or around an opposition box like Manchester City do. Mm. Quite often when Dortmund or when Holland was most destructive, mm. you know, I've lost count of the amount of times that Dortmund would break, for example. Mm. Sancho down the left, slide rule pass into Holland, Holland would finish. Or a cutback, Holland would finish and vice versa. And it was because there was space in front of them to, to, to exploit. Quite often there isn't that for Manchester City. And that's going to take a little bit of adapting for Holland to get used to. But the problem is, I, teams adapt. People always go on about how the Premier League is the best league in the world. I think one of the things it is really good at is that the defensive systems are, I think, elite deeper down the league. The Premier League is also a bit of an AI. Like yeah, it adapts, yeah, yeah. it learns. Some of those chess computers, right? Yeah. And it adapts and it learns really fast. Those supercomputers. And look, I want to say this as well about Holland's play. I thought his build-up play, his hold play, was really good. Yeah, I think it was. No, it was yeah. really. No, it was really. The, there was there were some periods in the first half. He gets the ball, drops deep, works the ball to the wings, and it's great. And the problem is actually, City just didn't create the chances. They didn't hit the bylines. They didn't cut it square to him. Those six-yard errors, the errors where we've seen him so dangerous this season, they weren't making any of that. That's credit to United mm. because United were really good at closing off some of those angles. Actually, if you want to criticize anyone, you can criticize the midfield for not doing more. I would say mm. there really was a challenge there for. Um, you know, Rodri not being um, as imposing as we've seen before. Um, you know, if you contrast some of the passing through the lines, Arsenal's passing through the lines in the first 20 minutes against Spurs in particular was spectacular. Mm. What Odegaard was, Odegaard was doing, what um, Zinchenko was doing to work the ball through space. City weren't doing that, Ryan. Mm. You know, they weren't setting traps or even Brighton against, New, uh, against um, Liverpool. There was a thing that Caicedo was doing when Caicedo was dropping deep against Liverpool and they were hammering the ball into his feet from centre-back. Two Liverpool players were jumping on his back and then he would just knock it out to the full back and they would just all surge forward and all of a sudden two Liverpool players are out and the momentum is there. They're on. Didn't see that from City and it's not trying to knock them. It's more like they're, the way they generate that tempo, they didn't get the tempo working. Mm. And when they get the tempo working, that's when you know, it all falls apart and that's the chaos in which Holland thrives. And they didn't create that. And mm. you know, we keep saying this, but it's important. We have to put a pin in this because there's going to be conversation about Holland and it's going to get very easy. And people can joke about it and they'll get their jokes off on Twitter. That's fine. But people have to understand, like there's almost any strike on world football struggles in those situations. Lewandowski struggles in those situations. Mm. Like I, I think there's very few like number nines that face what United put up against them. United now don't, you've got an informed Varane, an informed Luke Shaw, you know, and you've got Fred and Casemiro in front of them. That's not a joke anymore. No. That, that, that United defensive central area is, 
is intense. Still, and then you've got Malassia yeah. and Malassia with incredible recovery speed too. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I still yeah. I still think that Manchester United will probably suffer another dip at some point in the season and will I think they're slightly I still Behind think the they're slightly, of I still, City and I still think they're slightly overperforming what they what I would expect them to be at the current time. I agree. I I feel the same too. Uh, yeah, but I also yeah. think that that's that's fine. That's going to happen. And when it does happen, which I I think it will do, then there doesn't need to be this massive kind of like, oh my God, is actually Ten Hag the right guy for the job? Because you've seen how you get you get uh, rapid progress and then you level off a little bit and you might even dip before you take the next jump. It's a big, it is, can it's, I, can it's, I throw impossible this in? To, it's impossible to kind of like overstate the amount of reform that is fully needed at that football club for them to be consistently outperforming people at the top. I feel like Martial's where Lacazette was. You know yeah. how you had all those players that were slightly, they had all they had the plan, you can see Arsenal's plan, Arteta's plan, and there's one player that's slightly out of sync who worked in the old regime but wouldn't work in the new one so well. And there was a moment in the um, first half which I felt summed up some of Martial's last few seasons at United. Rashford breaks, has an attempt, and then Martial throws up his arms, but he only, it's very reactive. He throws up his arms afterwards, but doesn't show for it before. And there's this thing with Martial where it feels like he's sometimes out of sync with the rest of the attack in the sense that maybe it's because of conditioning. Maybe he spent so long having to do the solo thing. But now that there's a sort of integrated team plan, Martial doesn't always fit into that team plan because mm. his movement is not as fluid as everyone else's. And I feel like that almost, it felt like Lacazette before Lacazette left. And it's not knocking either player. It's almost like what worked in a previous system where there wasn't that structure and it was more kind of like you had to improvise in certain spaces. It's a bit like Memphis, early stage Memphis at United. Actually, Memphis now would be a great fit for this United team. But Memphis, before he evolved uh, later in his career, was kind of where Lacazette and um, Martial are now. So with, I say all this to say that with United, you can see it's a work in progress. Whereas with, Arsenal, to a greatest extent, you see something like the finished article. Everyone at Arsenal knows, when I say the finished article, I don't mean in terms of the quality of player that's in the squad, I mean in terms of everyone knowing exactly what they're meant to be doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, should we move on to the North London derby? Yes, please. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because I think it's a good good segue. Segway. Yeah. Um, like we mentioned before, we'll, we'll talk about this as well on Wrighty's House. First half from Arsenal was as good as I've seen them play away at Spurs. Sorry, Tottenham Hotspur nil, Arsenal two. Just I mean, yeah, sorry. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Headline figure. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the first half was as good as I've seen Arsenal away at Spurs for as, for as long as I can remember because it was like last season when Arsenal went there, they were missing a few players. They had they kind of lost their heads a little bit. They had Rob Holding sent off. They had it was very they they basically just the occasion was was too much. And this time round, what I thought was kind of wildly impressive from Arsenal was the fact that it was loud in there at the beginning and at half time it was you could kind of hear a pin drop not slagging off Spurs fans by any means at all I'm saying that that is kind of that's a measure I've been on the other end of those kind of performances you can hear the anxiety the anxiety exists you can hear the anxiety in the stadium you could sense that the crowd cottoned on pretty quickly that this was different this time round and actually the thing that I find really interesting about Arsenal this season is that, again, checkpoints. You you see how Brighton, what Brighton have done to teams this season, and Arsenal kind of went there and kind of just dealt with business. Brighton got back into it, but Arsenal kept them at arm's length, which you know it's, it's been proven to be 
very difficult this season. The game at Old Trafford, I thought the performance was brilliant from Arsenal. Mm. Liverpool at home, Spurs at home. These kind of, um, these places, or even, do you know what? Even like Palace away. Yeah, the yeah. Palace away game, I thought from Arsenal, was a big indicator of how things seem to be a little bit different this season, or a lot different. 47 points yeah. from 54. It's a spectacular return. There's only three or four seasons in the Premier League that people it's have had a spectacular a better, return. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. And the levels have been raised to such an obscene point over the last few years because of, well, I mean, over the last however long, since Arsenal last won the league, let's say, because of Chelsea's financial firepower, what they did to the league, similar thing to Manchester City. Liverpool's just otherworldly performance over the last few years and keeping yeah. up with Man City. And just some of the football that's been played and what you need to to achieve to win now it's different to how it was when Arsenal last won the league yeah so the fact that Arsenal are kind of hanging in there at the moment has been super impressive and and this game in particular it was like yeah the first goal Loris has a bit of a howler but the I think that just came from a that was essentially just like wearing down like Saka absolutely torched that Spurs left hand side brutal sometimes taking two players at once occupying two players constantly it was kind of unbelievable to the point where Martinelli, I think, was just, was probably a bit bored on the other side because <laughs> nothing really came down that. And that's the thing that can happen, I think, with this Arsenal team sometimes because you have Sinchenko at left back coming essentially as, as a number six. You can really, you can really push over to that right-hand side. A lot of the overloads will come on that Arsenal right-hand side. But with someone like Martinelli on the left, it gives you the ability to just switch in a heartbeat. So nothing's yeah. too one-dimensional at any one point. Didn't Martinelli remind me of Dembele at the World Cup? You know, like how in the early rounds anyway, where like Mbappe basically had so much ball into mm-hmm. him, but you always knew that if Dembele got the ball, he was going to just wreck yeah. it because he was just good enough to stay. Martinelli's good enough to stay isolated for a long time and just emerge into life. That, that I th- yeah, and I do think that, that yeah. is one of the reasons why Arsenal gets so much joy down that right-hand side is because Martinelli demands so much attention. You can't switch off for a second. So you can't, you know, he's just, like, you can't he's, commit. You know, like, you know, like a scorpion's thing is just hanging above the conversation yeah. the whole yeah. time. He's like yeah. that. He's just waiting. Yeah. And it's, it's just, whether he's stinging or not, he's just there. Yeah. I think it's, for Arsenal, yeah, yeah there, there's spacing. We talk about, sorry to jump in the basketball now. No, 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 go for Talk it. about spacing in, 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 a, in basketball, like, having a quality of play where you've always got to keep an eye on him wherever on the floor. That's Martinelli. Mm. And actually, just to throw this in as well, Martinelli is a player who his stats will never, ever, ever capture the full effect of what he does. There needs right. to be like another stat for like yeah. Martinelli about like aura. It's just knowing how devastating he is at any given time. And I want to throw in this as well. When we're talking about Arsenal very quickly, Nketiah, a quick word for him. There was a ball he got in the first half. Someone hit was not the best pass actually. And he drags it, keeps it in play, recycles mm. it. And I'm like, oh my God. You know, like in the same way that Gabriel Jesus is so much more dangerous than his goals. Yep. And Ketia has come in. Yep. And this is, I cannot believe I'm saying this. And Ketia has made sure that Gabriel Jesus has hardly been missed at this yep. stage of the season, because yep. in May it's going to be different. But at this stage of the season, and Ketia has stepped up to the level where it's like, they look fine. They look great. It's fluid. Yeah. It's working. Do you, know, do you know who'll be the happiest about that? It's probably Gabriel Jesus. Yeah, of course, because a team because, player, a team player, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, the second goal from Odegaard was was just sick, and um, Arsenal could have had. I, I, Arsenal really, could, if Arsenal had gone in, even though the XG wouldn't have suggested, wouldn't have supported it. I think if Arsenal had gone in at four nil, I don't think that would have been unfair at halftime, because yeah, I had that one that smacked off the post for the volley, and they had another couple of chances that they probably could have done better with. 
and they just kept creating. They, Spurs had maybe, I think, a five-minute period where they played some good stuff. Mm. But then, after that, Arsenal wrestled back control, and I thought that there was, a, there was a moment in the first half that completely summed up, I think, where Spurs were at in this game, where Harry Kane dropped into the left-back position mm. and had to dribble across the kind of the corner of the box with, on the left-hand side by the byline and drilled a ball from the, like, the deep left centre-back position across field that just got right. put out. And I was just yes. like, Spurs can't get out here. Spurs can't really figure out what's going on. The second half, obviously, they were much better. But I think what happened at that point was that Ramsdale made a couple of good saves. Yes. Never felt Arsenal were massively under the cosh, though. And again, that's progress from Arsenal. I think the fact that they didn't get rattled, which they have done so... Spurs have been able to rattle Arsenal so much at their place over the last few years. And I think that that was a really... That was a really positive thing from Arsenal's point of view. Um, Ben White, great again. You know, actually... Ben White's amazing. Like, I'm throwing this, in, this Inchenko thing. I know we talked about team game, but I just want to look, dwell on that a little moment. The way that he drops into space and... Mm holds possession so everyone can advance. A friend of mine, I was talking to my mate Greg um, during the World Cup and he made a point about Modric in one of the early games of the World Cup where he said there's an incredible thing where Modric and Kovacic are advancing and Modric basically is on the left flank by himself because Kovacic knows if he switches it to him, he won't lose the ball and there's no one behind Kovacic and the keeper. There's no one else there but he's like, I can give him the ball 40 yards from goal and he won't lose it even with two men on him. As Zinchenko does the same thing, his ability to build from deep is so good because it allows Arsenal to be like, you know what? We don't care if there's three people closer to another teammate. We don't care if there's three um, opposition players closer to a teammate um, than Zinchenko because he can get the ball there and let us mm. all do our own thing. And we've talked about positionless football before. And I think every now and again, if you, if you freeze the game at certain points, if you froze the screen, you'll see Zinchenko in a position where you'd be like, oh, that's not strictly speaking where he was. He started the match. Mm. But in terms of the shape it enables Arsenal to have, I think, you know, talk about Arsenal's shape and control of this. He was obviously key to this game. I think he was maybe even their outstanding player. That's a big shout, but possibly alongside mm. Odegaard, their outstanding player and Saka too. I mean, to be honest, Arsenal had like six men of the match. Ramsdale probably in mm. the mix as well. But the thing that was so remarkable about this was, and even maybe it can highlight the thing at the end, that at the end there was a sort of a brief kind of like, there was a, there was a not a tussle. I, I hate to, there was, there was a bit of, um, a bit of this kind of superheated steam you normally see in the derby. And my instinct, I texted you immediately saying, they've done so well, just, just getting, getting them out the of there. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't want this to be the noise around this derby because yeah. Arsenal's control of this game was so complete. I think they did that it was well, almost, in the end. They just went up the other end. They did, they did really well. And the, the danger, I thought, I thought having played that well, the statement now needs to be Arsenal retained control, like, from start to finish, after the final whistle, and just kept it together. And this is not to knock Spurs, by the way. I'm not trying to knock Spurs. What I'm saying is, when a team is in the ascendancy, like Arsenal are, and like Spurs were under Poch, you know, and had their moment in the league, and as we know, they're brilliant for years running, you've got to close a game out. Like when when Spurs beat, um, I always talk at this time, that they got the, um, when they beat City 2-0, the Deli Alley headers, and from start to finish, they just owned that team. I think it was important for Arsenal to leave the stadium being like, we went in and did a job and shut everything down. And one thing I want to say, sorry to just go off on one, but quickly, the sign, you know, you, you said you saw the Kane moment in the first half. For me, it was watching Romero's tackling. Romero yeah, I mean, he was, could have had he was really, three yellows. <laughs> he was really out of sorts, wasn't he? I'm not he? saying he should have got sent off, but three of, three of his tackles could have been yellows. He yellows. was really out of sorts, wasn't he? Mm. Yeah. 
The thing that I would say with Spurs is that I worry a little bit for Spurs because you're a good year or so, well, just yeah, a year and a bit now into Conte ball. Yeah. Into the third window under Conte. And I feel like, for example, if I compare and contrast it to Spurs a couple of years ago, and I, and I know it's not nice to continually compare what's going on to those years where they, you know, they pushed for the league and then they were in the Champions League final under Pot. Mm. But there was a lot of, em- I think a lot of fans looked at Spurs with, with real envy because they were like, man, they're just so sensible. They've got a really yeah. good manager. They're really sensible. They're playing really good. Like, even if they're not playing amazing football, they had this mixture of technicality and physicality, mm. which I think a lot more teams have got now than, and I think Spurs were one of the, the, the best at it at the time. I used to look at them and just be like, I can't really see, I can't really see how they, I don't want to say fuck this up because that sounds like I'm, I'm going lols and banter. But I, 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 there was a period where I was genuinely like, it wouldn't surprise me if, if I went to sleep now and woke up in five years time, someone was like, Spurs have won two titles. Mm. It, I genuinely, it wouldn't have surprised me at a point. Yeah, okay. and I feel the thing that's a real shame now is that it's become a little muddled and they're currently in this this position where they're in a little bit of a tricky position because I feel like they might need to take one step back, actually, you know, to try and make two forward. And I'm just not really sure Conte is the guy for that anymore. Look, I, think I mean, it was, look, it was, I thought yeah. I thought it was a great hire at the time, and I was really interested to see what Conte would do with a team like that because he did amazing at Inter. But mm. this this having to rely on the second half performances was just become a massive cliche, and I know it's become a bit of a kind of like a pundit tidbit. But like this league is too good to have to rely They're too on. Too smart. That. You can't give them forty five you know, minutes. You, you can't, can't give the best teams you just in the can't league forty five minutes. And also, can't. it's kind of exhausting. It's really hard, I think, for fans to then super engage from the beginning because they know it's going to be a struggle. If you're that, if you've got a team with that many good players in, and you know it's going to be a struggle, that's a really tough psychology to be in. I think. I think Simeone's put his his players in the same position. Yeah, the suffering isn't that necessary. Well, here's the thing: I think the suffering is necessary, and I, I've been thinking about this actually since last night. Talking about it in the chat, like the suffering is necessary in football in the sense that there's always struggle, but you don't have to induce it. Mm. You don't have to induce it. These are ball-playing footballers who like playing on the front foot. Let them play football, actually. Mm. Because actually, the problem is with this whole, like, well, we'll get them in the second half thing. If if that is a thing that is consciously happening, it seems to be happening on the pitch, is that you are making people go out and playing from a position of fear and containment. Mm. Fear and containment doesn't win leagues as regular as it used to. Okay, this is not the mid-90s where Juventus were getting to three Champions League finals in a row and sweeping everyone before them. Right, it's not the same. Like Atleti got to those finals, those, those Champions League finals, and they've regressed since then. Mm. Because now people are going, you know what? It's about firepower. You look at the goal differences of the top two teams, what plus twenty eight. You look at Napoli. Napoli are flying. You look at the trends, and you know, football is a copycat sport, just like the NBA is a copycat league. Okay, it's about firepower. It's about front loading. You look at Chelsea. They have so many forwards now. Mm. People can laugh at Chelsea acquiring all these players, but fundamentally. There's some great players and then they'll get that mix right eventually. The trend is not to go out and buy seven defenders for three spots. It's just not the trend. And Mm. I'm not trying to be harsh to Conta here. What I suppose I'm saying is, again, it's that plan B. We talk so often about in the Craig midfield, Bentancur, shout out to him. He's really stepped up in Hoybier as well. Again, there's another level that you need. It's not just individual players. It's a systemic thing. Mm. When your attitude is containment and containment's not the wave anymore, you're going to be in trouble. And the problem is it's such a big structural problem. 
I feel like, you know, like, like a tuckle. I mean, I don't know how people feel about tuckle within the Spurs hierarchy or within the fan base even, but a, a coach like that is actually somebody who can come in and change things, I think. Mm. And I think it's that level of coach you need now that can come in. Obviously, look, Poch, a spectacular coach in his time. And, but I just don't know what the attitude, I don't know what the appetite is to bring him back in from the Spurs hierarchy because that's an admission of a massive defeat. That makes sense. Yeah. And I'm not always sure again how things are the second time around. And maybe Poch as a coach has slightly changed and the chemistry that bonded him to, bonded him to Spurs may not be there the second time around. Mm. So many variables are different now. Just to put a pin in that because we've got so much else to discuss, but I am concerned for Spurs. And like yourself, I'm not convinced they can turn it around. Turn it around sounds dramatic, but do you know what I mean? I'm not convinced Spurs can make the leap they need and deserve to make, given mm. the size of club they are. I'm not convinced they can make that leap to title challenges with Conte there. Which is, which is a wild thing to say, right? It's wild. It's wild. And that kind of sounds like a bit of a hot take and it's not. I think it's just more like we thought that that, was, that would be great. And we said they had a great window last year. And I think it's worth caveating that as well, though. They have had some key injuries this season. They really, really missed Kulisevsky. Mm. But I think also it's just this what they have they have some unbelievable players there that can really really hurt you and I don't think they're being given the conditions to do as much damage as they could do that's I agree point, I, I agree also just a quick thing on the end obviously like we mentioned there was a guy came down kicked Ramsdale in the back Ramsdale was having some banter with the fans this happens every game mm. like in terms of banter he handled it really well fans. I thought post-match yeah I mean to be honest we're, in the we're, interview fans, too. we're fans of Richarlison but I think Richarlison getting in his face kind of like wound it up a little bit and I don't think he needed to do that no, no, no. Fans of both clubs are going to argue about this and I just think it's worth, I don't think it's, I, to be, if I'm being perfectly honest, I know that no fan should ever get into a position to kick an opposition player. I think stepping back from it, it's such a, the whole melee, for quote unquote, is such It got know, shot down pretty it, fast, yeah. I think. And, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. shouts to Arteta who, you know, spiked Granite Xhaka going the other way and was just like, fuck no, and like bolted after him and just been like, get out of there, get out of there. Big designated driver energy from Arteta there, I think. <laughs> it reminded me of that scene in like Lord of the Rings Two Towers where it's like Legolas no bring him down yeah. <laughs> trying to bring down the orc <laughs> we've, we've taken up a lot of time on these two games so let's we have. go to, sorry really sorry about that oh, no, because there's a, on that note though I think there, there was I, a lot to talk I, about I really, I really want to talk about Liverpool and I really want to talk about Everton but I would like to do those two in a little bit more depth so I think what we'll say now, we'll talk about the Everton stuff in a little bit more detail and, and Liverpool in general on Thursday. Should we do that? Yeah, because that can I, I just I say, want to talk about Brighton game now, but I'm talking about like Everton Yes, in we'll general. put a pin in that, yeah. Everton, because, we say Everton's ownership, both in terms of what they're experiencing and going through the board of director level, but also the ultimate owner of Everton and that being unclear. Great reporting The Guardian about that. And Usmanov's name is in the picture again in terms of someone who may or may not be the ultimate owner of Everton. That's what the reporting from The Guardian yeah. seems to be looking at. Um, that, yeah, that deserves a bigger discussion. Yeah, I'd like I to say dedicate as well, a little bit more time to that and we just don't have time to do that. Full sympathy, can I say, before we, before we get into that, full sympathy with Everton fans who are really concerned about the state of the club off the field because there's a lot going on there. Difficult times. So we'll talk about that a little bit more because they, they lost, to, they lost to Southampton on on. Saturday and it was another bad defeat for them but a great win for Southampton which means that they're level now on points with Everton and West Ham and they're only a point behind Bournemouth now and their momentum from that win over um, yeah. uh, Man City in the Carabao really happy for them getting that really Definitely. happy for them. Yeah. Um, 
Let's uh, elsewhere quickly, just in uh, in Premier League, which we won't have time to talk about, unfortunately. Uh, Forest with a great win over Leicester in the East Midlands derby, uh, 2-0. Uh, Wolves beating West Ham 1-0, which is a massive result. These, these games down the bottom of the Premier League this weekend were huge. Forest, King of the Midlands, after beating Wolves oh, as well. King of the Jesus. Midlands. Yeah, it's been yeah. a big week for Forest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Brentford beating Bournemouth 2-0 again, just to continue there. I mean, Brentford are just mega. Yeah, They're yeah. just so good. And uh, 1-0 wins for Chelsea over Palace and Newcastle over Fulham um, Mitrovic with the old 1-2 off the foot for the penalty which got it yeah. had it meant it got disallowed um, although the wrong penalty got awarded the first one should have got awarded <laughs> the, the Dan Byrne uh, who did he tug Pereira I think it was so it worked out in the end and um, but if they're, they're a little bit lucky Newcastle that that, that one didn't get awarded because I think Dan Byrne would have gone yeah yeah and that's fair just a quick shout for for Villa being leads on uh, Friday two one. Yeah, strong win for them. They just look really good, Villa. Oh yeah, they just look really fun. Really fun. Yeah. Brighton, however, are unbelievable. And let me just say, I know I keep bringing this up. When Deserby took charge, I think my exact words were, "You're about to see Brighton on acid." <laughs> and I'm not uh, lying, man. This trip is it is special. Do you know what Brighton are? Brighton are like, you know those fish at the bottom of the sea that have a little lamp in front of them? Yes. <laughs> That's what Brighton are. The lamp goes on and everyone's just like, oh, look at, look at, the, look at this. They're just, guys, they're right here. Like, they're just, guys, quick, come here. Look, like the centre-backs are right here and they've got the ball. I think all we need to do is just go over and just get the ball off the centre-backs. And then literally... <laughs> They're just like, nyom, pass the backs and they're out and the ball's in the back of the net. And you're like, how has that happened? And it kept happening in this game. It kept happening. The Kaiseido thing. They did yeah. it to Liverpool at Anfield. Liverpool. Well, this is the thing. They, they were in the first, well, in the first half of this match, it was nil-nil at the half, but I'm like, Brighton have been incredible. They've been, inc- the first half, the first 45 minutes of this game, I know they got three in the second half, which is wild even to score three goals against Liverpool in the second half. Mm-hmm. But the first half, they were out of this world. Like if you'd said to me, this game's going to finish 3-0 Brighton, I'd have been like, at halftime, I was like, actually, I can completely see that. Caicedo, brilliant. Mitoma, outstanding. Just cutting him from the flank. Could have done better with one chance, but apart from that, was brilliant in the first half. And Solly March. Oh. And it's weird because the two goals he scored will overshadow everything else that he did. But if Solly March can be unlucky in any respect it's that he is a midfielder in this age of England oh but you even took in, the words out of my even in this age I still think he deserves some kind of a call up even if it's Nations League Dude. the man deserves a call up Solly March has been balling out I 100% agree and I'm so pleased that you said this because literally when I was watching the game on the weekend I was just like we need to talk about Solly March for England on the show dude it's absolutely spectacular. Do you know what it is about him as well? I'm not even sure what position you put him in. Yeah. Because there's almost the kind of like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. I'm going to say it. There's a Bernardo Silva type vibe to this guy. Oh. Where Bernardo, you know, you can just put him in. You could put him like left wing back, put him higher up the pitch, possession football, send him on for 20 minutes to keep the ball high up the field. You could send him on, for example, as like a defensive winger high up on the right and be like, you know what, Solly, your job is to collect the out pass. 
your job is to get up there, 20 minutes to go and just keep the ball in the final third, almost like a Samir Nasri type thing. Mm. You know, and that's a role. And I say that as a defensive winger. I don't say that in criticism because he can score goals. That's the highest praise possible because Samir Nasri was the ultimate outlet ball for so many key performances uh, for City. Somebody can just get the ball, keep it, everyone else in advance and join him. And I just thought he was, he was absolutely amazing. And the thing I love about Brighton, I said this like last night to like you and the other, other people in the chat was, they're in a funny place now with the kind of, you know, the cost of living crisis. It doesn't just affect people that earn regular money. It has an equalizing effect for football because if you're offered, let's say a certain amount of money to go and play for a team with a bigger salary cap, more money, not salary cap, but more money, you're offered like a certain amount of week at Brighton or let's say double that in a different city, and you're thinking, hang on a minute, I get to live in Brighton for half the money. My money goes way further. I get to play with the Zerbi. I get to play with a fan base that really appreciates me. The package that Brighton now offer mm. is incredible. This is the thing that's so amazing. This is why I was on Twitter, I was half joking, calling them the British Napoli. But actually, when I mentioned the British Napoli, you look at Napoli's style of play, it stayed fundamentally similar for years despite a change in manager, despite a change in personnel, because actually Napoli is such a great club because they always attract a certain type of player now. A ball player, possession dominant teams, shift the ball around well, where Napoli will sell on and just bring in. And now Brighton, a really exciting phase where they've got this kind of, this production line of like homegrown talent alongside players like Colwell who are coming in from Chelsea and may leave again. McAllister, who's out of this world, who might hang around, who knows, might stay and become a club legend. Well, already is, I suppose, to an extent. Mm-hmm. And Solly March is a cornerstone of that. 28-year-old, you know, lives in Eastbourne, round the corner. And we, we don't talk about his name enough on this podcast in the rise of Brighton. And I know it went off on one oh, slide. I thought you just, were literally going to talk about his name, Solomon, Solomon <laughs> Benjamin March, which it's is incredible. just like, it's incredible. I mean, it was just one of the greatest English football names. Yeah. incredible. And, and sorry to riff a bit, but I just feel like players like that every now and again deserve, they deserve their moment, you know? Look, Brighton deserve all of the riffing because Brighton yeah. are genuinely unbelievable. They were great under Potter. And do you remember when people said that Potter going and Deserbi coming in was like Nigel Atkins going at Southampton and yeah. Pochettino came in? And I think I was having a conversation with you and I was just like, no, 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 it's Koeman. Because yes. what happened was like Chris Hooten was Atkins. Potter was Poch and actually Deserbi is Kuman because Yes, yes. Kuman took Southampton to higher finishes than than Poch. Yeah. And actually had them playing some fucking unbelievable football. Deserbi is doing that. I think Brighton are legitimately in a shout for like top six, which is it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Wild. And the thing is as well that we need to they've got two games in hand on Fulham who are a point above them in the table. They've got a game in hand on Spurs. And if they beat, if they win that game in hand, they'll go above Spurs on goal difference. They could legitimately be fifth in the table when all of the games are leveled out. They've beaten almost everyone. They've beaten almost all the big teams. This is the thing. It's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Brighton have dominated big teams. They're not just beaten, they've yeah. dominated them. Like, and this is like, not to be, this is not trying to be harsh on Liverpool. Liverpool have injury issues and also like the emotional exhaustion. Um, Klopp referred to the previous season as like Liverpool suffering a hangover in the previous season. Mm. Liverpool have suffered from having to chase that Man City team for so long. And the irony mm. being, the moment City actually look a bit mortal, which is saying a lot because they're second, but the moment it's a bit mortal, Liverpool are just too knackered to step in and do that work. The concern I had watching them was, 
it's not immediately obvious where their leaps in performance come from across the pitch. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. the, the problem with this Premier League is, and I've used this analogy before, it's like the whitewater rapids. If you go below water, it's very hard to get your head above the surface quickly again, because so many teams jump into that gap. Now it's such a dynamic league. Mm. You have Newcastle in the mix with their new recruitment. You have Chelsea, they've been buying big. You know, even though Joao Felix got the red card against Fulham, he was brilliant before he was sent off for the late tackle. Like you have so many teams in the mix now that you, you lose a bit of intensity, a bit of altitude, and it's very hard to return there. Liverpool do not like, look like being um, a dominant force, an imposing force, any time in the next couple of months. And that's not to knock them. That's, that's, I think it's important for Liverpool fans, and I said this maybe before, to adjust the idea that this is actually a bit of a transition season. Mm. And it's okay to take a breather because the run Liverpool went on, the trophy cabinet does not reflect it, but the run they went on was otherworldly. Mm. And this, yeah. Does that make the, sense? And the, the, the ability to maintain that over that period of time. No one else has done it. What? No one else has ever been a stalking horse like Liverpool were for Man City. No one else has pushed them like that. Mm. So yeah. But yeah, shout out to Brighton who were spectacular. Yeah. I can't think of enough good things to say about Brighton. Can I just say one more thing? I hope Trossard works out whatever the challenges are there because he is actually tailor-made for that attack. Yeah. If Tross, I mean, Ferguson's been brilliant for Brighton as well. Shout out to him. He's been amazing. Um, great to see Worldwide got a lovely finish too. But Trossard actually, funnily enough now, is even better suited to what Brighton are doing than he was when Potter was there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I hope that works out. It's a big week in the Premier League. Man United go to Palace on Wednesday. Man City hosts Spurs on Thursday. And then you've got Liverpool-Chelsea in the lunchtime kickoff on Saturday. And Arsenal-Man United on the Sunday. Like this, this could be the biggest week in the Premier League, I think. Like this week and next week in terms of yeah. what's going to go on at the top. And to be honest, what could go on elsewhere? Because you know, Liverpool-Chelsea, ninth versus 10th. Ninth versus 10th. If someone has said to you, 18 months ago, Liverpool Chelsea be ninth versus 10th at the halfway point in the season. People would have thought you had three heads. Bizarre. Yeah. 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 Uh, anything else on the Premier League? Oh, uh, Chelsea signing Mudrick, obviously, coming in and swooping in, and, and they got him on an eight and a half year deal, apparently. The one thing I'll say about that is I went, and I've said this before, and I wasn't saying it completely in jest. Um, funnily enough, actually, I think that's a player that City needed more than Chelsea did, or that, well, no, than, than Arsenal did, actually. I think, I think City need that type of, Mm. flying winger in their arsenal because they don't currently have that profile of player. Mm. There's very few things they lack in that sense. It can maybe be Alvarez, but a pure out and out flying winger, I think they, they lack that. Mm. But we'll see how that works out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I just think at the end of the day, wasn't really that deep. Arsenal just wouldn't go that high. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And Chelsea are offering him much better wages so you can fully understand his decision to go there. I and hope, also I hope, from Shakhtar, yeah. like, you know, Shakhtar are donating, Richard Jolly's just tweeted, they're donating $25 million of the Mudrik transfer fee to help Ukrainian soldiers and their families, particularly those who defended Mariupol. The reason that they were pushing for such a large fee on Mudrik was because obviously they had a load of players leave because of the FIFA ruling and they were unable to recoup transfer fees for them. So yeah, it's, it's one of those, like it's just, if you, if you actually look at the, the, the details of the situation and what's going on there, it's a very odd transfer in terms of what normal transfers are like. And I think at the end of the day, Chelsea had the money, they were prepared to pay it. And like, yeah. I don't personally think he's worth that yet, but I wouldn't have worked, thought he was worth that if he'd gone to Arsenal with that fee, but you just don't know. Yeah, like, exactly. He could be unbelievable. Also, long, yeah, you're right, the context of that, like, and on a human level, on a personal level, Mudrik has gone from an occupied area yeah. of Ukraine to a situation where 
his family now financially, like, you know, his grandchildren will be secure financially. Like that, that what a leap for him in the space of a yeah. week, basically, which is yeah. pretty wild, but that's, Definitely. that's football for you. Yeah. Right. Let's go to Italy because we need to talk about a top of the table clash where Napoli pulled away. Uh, Napoli were unbelievable in their 5-1 win over Juve and on any other weekend, this would have been top of the show and we would have done an hour on minutes it. on it. More, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. An hour. Sorry. I'm an hour. <laughs> read a really interesting thing that James Horncastle wrote in The Athletic. He was talking about like some of the performances that Napoli have had this season. And while I don't think this is quite as good as, like, say, the Liverpool game. Because mm. the opposition was not good. Well. I think this is up there. Because the, I think the main problem with this is that obviously Juve were on a bit of a run. Defensively solid as well. Yeah, but I th- they, weren't really, they weren't really blowing teams away. No. And I feel that what happened in this game, like Allegri said after the game, this just felt like one of those games where everything went in, you know. Um, mm. Which uh, I, I think is a little bit harsh because I think that, you know, Napoli were relentless. Um, but the, I mean, the, 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 you know, if you look at the, if you look at the breakdown of the XG, it kind of, you would suggest that the chances were not amazing. It's it's good spin. It's good spin from Allegri. Do you know what it is? They hadn't faced. They hadn't faced this whirlwind. This was, you know, and I have to say, look, Allegri's performances. To be fair to Juventus, Mm. things were clicking into gear. Any other team in the league, this doesn't happen. Particularly Milan, who've dropped like you know, dropping points points to Roma and Lecce again. Two nil down to Lecce. To us, Lecce should have made it three nil in the first half. Should have have been. Should have been good night. Mm. Any other team in Serie A, it's a close game. But Napoli, shout out to them because they've been criticised in previous years, not without foundation, for not really handling the pressure of being the front runners that well. You know, we saw it last season where the moment the spotlight came on them, they didn't really fancy it. Mm. They love the spotlight. Osimhen occupying routinely two or three players by himself when he makes a move out to the flank. Quarat Scalia, just absolutely devastating. So just good. devastating. Lobotka running the show. Yep. All these... So many players just stepping up. Kim's distribution is, is what it is. I thought he was amazing in this game. Honestly, Ryan, like you run out of things to say about the quality of this Napoli team other than they're just absolutely legit. And anybody who doesn't have them penciled in as a Champions League, a possible Champions League winner mm. is doing themselves a slight disservice because they have all the vitamins, this Napoli team. Mm. And as a statement, this put them 10 points clear, they're now nine points clear after um, Milan pulled back a point um, against Lecce. But psychologically, what this does, they can now, and also their bench, you look at the, this thing, you look at their bench, Raspadori and Simeone and Ndombele on the bench. They've got <laughs> so a deeper good. bench, they've got a deeper bench than a lot of Premier League teams in terms of attacking quality. Like, if those players are on the bench for Man City, you'd be like, those are great options. Mm. That's the thing. Napoli have really recruited and this is maybe not something they get enough credit for in terms of the uh, administration infrastructure. The quality of Napoli's recruitment is just, whew. So good, man. Yeah. And Spalletti's just got them playing just unbelievable stuff. They look so complete. They look, you know, they've always been, over the last few years, we've seen them as this like really fun, you know, even like under Sarri, for example, they were just like, wow, these are good. Or they yeah. could win like, they could win a game 9-0 or they could lose a game 5-4. You know, they could just, they never seem to have that control in the way that they do now. Mm. And in James's piece, there was a really interesting thing that he, he said about Spalletti, where he was like, they, they keep playing no matter what the score is, it's just in their DNA, they play the same way. Yeah. And 
it's been called total football and it kind of is. It's just, it's, it's so good to watch. I think they're just so well drilled. You look at Juve though, at the same time, they were missing key pieces at either end of the pitch. So without Bonucci at the back, you could see that that defence was not good in this game. Shipping five goals after shipping seven before this all season in the league. Mm. Not great. Also, they're missing Vlaovic up front. And it's a huge, huge as much, you know, Milik is just not, you know, he's just not like, he's not Vlaovic. Um, it is, right, exactly. Yeah. Chiesa back with his first start playing right wing back, which is just not his best position by any strength of the imagination. They kind of switched it at points and he went over to the left-hand yeah. side, but he, it, he started the game in a... He was kind of all over the place. He's, he's going to take such a while to get back up to speed because... Can I say this? So this I want to throw in this in a little bit of a comic relief for Juventus. Absolutely hilarious. But even in a 5-1 defeat, Di Maria was still terrifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Terrifying. And he's got a great goal, man. And like, hit the bar yeah. with the other effort. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Di Maria just on smoke, basically, ever since the World Cup. I mean, at that age as well. Oh Renaissance, God. man. <laughs> so, so good. So good. But yeah, Napoli were just brilliant. I think, yeah. Barrett Scalia and, and, and Aussie men, they're like, they remind me a lot of their, their relationship, their partnership, we mentioned earlier in the show, but they remind me of like peak Sancho Holland at Dortmund. That's a just, great shot. Yeah. Just the, the way that they would just, it doesn't matter who it will, who, who it is, they'd be, they'd just torch them every single game. You know? Spectacular. I mean, obviously look, we're, James Horncastle also said, mm. you know, the lesson is don't get too attached to players because those are players that will be moving on sooner rather than later. But I'm gutted that that is the assumption. I'm gutted that we, you know, clubs like United will look at Osimhen, we'll look at Quarat Scalia and be like, yeah, we'll just pluck them. Because like, you want them to build something. Burn State, why would you leave? In a dream, in a dream world, they just why hang would around. You leave? <sighs> like, you know. Not it's just the qu- financial disparities, isn't it? Just the financial disparities. There's a, a, a very, very, very wonderful host of a very average podcast once said, just the thing of the food. <laughs> like, why would you leave? Oh my goodness. Wouldn't drag me out of there. Too good for this podcast, Musa, you are. <laughs> you need to be plucked from this podcast. <laughs> but leave us <laughs> men and Crumber Scale oh, where they please, are. Please, sorry, please. Leave them where they are. No, it'll have me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Napoli in full control of Serie A. And yeah, spectacular. I mean, Serie A is making a claim to be like the most watchable league around if you look at it over the last few years. Well, they're on course for having four different winners in the last four seasons. And it's always, look, I tune in and it's always a joy. I always find great football there. Let's leave the rest of Serie A and quickly go to La Liga. Very, very quickly, we want to shout out the Bass Derby, which was another, it's always amazing, this game. Um, Real Sociedad beat an Athletic Club 3-1. In San Sebastian, Alexander Surlot uh, opened the scoring. Uh, Takafusa Kubo got the second. Assist from David Silva. Silver David doing Silver work. pulling strings. Yeah. Silver surfer. Uh, Kubo's brilliant though, man. Kubo's yeah, yeah. so good. So good. Movement's outstanding. Uh, Athletic got a goal back, but it was uh, not enough because Yerai Alvarez got sent off after an hour and Mikel Oyathabal sealed it from the penalty spot. And um, they were good, man. I thought yeah. they were really, really good. Uh, Kubo was probably man of the match. Yeah, that's fair. Sausidad hanging tough. They Impressive are. season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really, they really are. They're in third now. Um, they're se- I mean, they're seven points clear in third as well. They're comfortably in third. They're level on points of, uh, sorry, they're three points behind Real Madrid who have got a game in hand, as have Barcelona because they were off playing uh, the Spanish Super Cup final in Saudi Arabia. Um, Atleti though, 
drop the slide continues. Again. The slide continues. Yeah, away at Almeria, one all. But yeah, Spanish Super Cup, the Classico, then Barcelona won three one. Uh, Gavi was he absolutely ran this, didn't he? He, he absolutely ran, ran the show. It. A goal and two assists. And the the one that I enjoyed the most actually was the third goal. It was the one for Pedri. Oh, the side deflection on the cross we put in. Yeah, because I mean, like, never mind that, but it was just more the kind of the the symbolism of Gavi to Pedri, and I was just like, if if Barcelona don't mess it up, these two could dominate European football. If they if they give if they give if they build enough of a of a team around them, these two could run European football first. Do you know like that a thing decade. that De Bruyne does when De Bruyne breaks and you trust them to make the right decision? Yeah. And Gavi, in the, particularly in the first half, you see him get clear and you, he has the ball and you see him look up and you're like, you just trust him. Yeah. You know whatever choice he picks will be the correct choice. And I think that's his decision making. I think because of Pedri's brilliance, there was an element where he went slightly under the radar. And I've mentioned this before, like the Nations League game when, when they played against France and Chouamene basically like lost him and he's like, hang on, where's he gone? <laughs> And I think, you know, he's not going under any radars anymore. This was a hugely important victory for Barcelona because the team that Real put out was strong. It was. Uh, Real were clearly frustrated by the nature of the defeat because psychologically, the Super Cup, look, they've won other trophies before, but the Super Cup, although it would have been the first trophy for some of the players in their squad, which is important Mm. in its own sense, um, the Super Cup was important because in terms of the balance of power in our league at the moment and Barca being top and what that does psychologically, you know, to put together such a complete performance for Lewandowski to score in this game after missing some big chances previous in the season and for Gavi and Pedri to recover from the pressure of the World Cup and the disappointment, for them to bounce back like this is, is massive, actually. Yeah, totally. So it's a weird, big result, much, much bigger result for Barca than it was for Madrid, I think. Uh, yeah, totally. It's a vibe check. It's a vibe check. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's the first trophy under Javi. I think Javi's kind of where Arteta was in a certain way. I mean, yeah, there's maybe. different challenges, but in terms, yeah. of, in terms of time it took to change things mm. and the patience needed, I mean, look, Barcelona top of the top of La Liga. And I know mm-hmm. they've, 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 they've signed a huge amount of players, yes. And also we've seen for Manchester United, huge amounts of money and outlay don't guarantee anything like a title. Mm. To Barcelona's credit, the top of that La Liga on merit. Yeah. And wins like this give them confidence they can, they can finish the job. Let's quickly wrap on Liga because we're going to talk about the WSL on Wrighty's House. We would have talked about it today, but we've just got so much to talk yeah, about. And Flo was there. Yeah. So, but um, I mean, it seems like a big story. Not but a huge PSG, surprise. PSG never win. They haven't won in Ren since 2018. Ren so like- have been doing work. This is the thing. There are certain teams in League uh, you have to watch for. When yeah. I see PSG are playing Ren, I'm like, that's trouble for them. Trouble. It's like, it's like L'Oreal. There's certain teams I that think I just, just don't enjoy. Yeah, trouble, trouble. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Raindrop, drop top. Rygos. <laughs> anyway, uh, so sorry. funny. God. <laughs> yeah, like certain teams, certain teams in Liga, we talk about matchups in, in basketball, mm. you know, is that a tough matchup? And PSG had a tough matchup with Ren. And it's been a tough matchup for a while. And the quality of player coming out of there is the style. It's because they have this like um, high intensity pressing, you know, full court press basically. And they don't give, they don't give um, PSG a moment to play out or relax. Mm. 
and the ball is in constant motion because we know that like PSG have got some players with a bit more mileage on the clock. Verratti was missing, so you lose some match control there. So it's kind of a perfect storm mm. um, for PSG to walk into. And the exciting thing now for the, um, that defeat is, is what it does for Lance. Yeah. Lance now see Liga is really in play. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they close the gap to three points. Yeah. And the thing is, Marseille are only two points behind Lance. So there's five points separating the top three in, in Liga. But yeah, I think for, for PSG, it was just... You know, uh, in the NBA, they sometimes have like on big road trips, they have like a scheduled loss down. Yeah. I think like Ren's, the Ren kind of feels like a, at least a scheduled draw because, and especially in this sense, because you have, you know, Mbappe and Hakimi returned to train a few days ago, came on in this game, but they're not fully fit. Um, and... Yeah, he's off Mbappe's miss, actually. Yes. Actually, I forgot about that. The way he dragged that high and wide. Yeah. yeah. But like, Red are legit. They're a a tricky team. And as I said, like, PSG haven't won there since 2018. It's not an easy place for them to go to. Yeah, this was not, this this result was not like a huge, it wasn't, oh my God, shock horror PSG. No, it wasn't. It really wasn't. No, totally. But um, yeah, I mean, I wonder if, like, Bundesliga's back next week. Maybe there can be a few surprises there. Maybe we could get like Freiburg and Union one and two, you know, and then we could have a real like. Don't tell me with a good time. Oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe like the most stadio. Like if Lons win Liga and Napoli win Serie A, I mean Arsenal winning the Premier League maybe less so. Although maybe you know, but like, and then I don't know, Freiburg winning the Bundesliga. Oh my goodness! Just fucking <laughs> the prop Joe award would just be football. Football that happens, I'll be tempted to retire. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, if Arsenal if Arsenal win the league, I'm I'm quitting, and I'm not going to quit quietly. I'm going to quit as loud as possible. He's left the building. Ryan Hunt's left the building. Okay, just set up a flare. I'm out. <laughs> uh, I'm 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 not. I'm not. Don't worry. Anyway, all right. Should we should we get out of here? Yeah, yeah. We've 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 kept these poor people long enough. Um, yeah. But can I just say as well, just because the football was was just spectacular this weekend. That's why we've gone a bit long. There was just so much we to get so into. so long on the Premier League. This, 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 this apologise, man. Could have, been, could, have been, could have been three hours long. Just do your thing, man. It's all good. Will do. Thank you. Appreciate it's that. Fine. Appreciate you. Right. I appreciate you. All right. We'll Listen, just save it in the edit. It's fine. <laughs> uh, don't forget to check Right's House on Tuesday. Check Counter Press, which will probably be up now as well by the time you hear this. And um, yeah, there will be a non-football mailbag on Right's House. So tweet at Wrighty's House with your non-football questions. Um, don't forget to check theringer.com and check the Stadio Outro's place on Spotify. Speaking of which, we're playing out on Ozo and Nambra. It's the edited version, slightly shorter than the than the normal one. But we'll pop the full version in the Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. Uh, anything you want to add, Musa Wakwonga? Nothing further. I'm all good. Nice. All right then, everyone. Much love. We'll be back later in the week. We'll chat to you then. See you then.